welcome to the Wheel of Time After Time, the TV review show for fans who never read the books. With me, fantasy author Sean Paul Stevens. Joining us from Bournemouth in the UK is fantasy expert Mark. Hello, Mark. <laughs> hi, Sean. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself that. Uh, <laughs> and from Savannah, Georgia in US of A is all game addict Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hey, everybody. And also in County Cork on her mountain is high fantasy fanatic and book club supremo Ray. Hello, Ray. Hello, hello. Okay, so today we're talking about episode three of The Wheel of Time, entitled A Place of Safety. And this is what it's about. The two rivers' villages are separated from Moraine and each other, with Matt and Rand trekking across the wilderness in one direction, Egwen and Perrin in another, and Lan and an injured Moraine are confronted by an angry Nina Eve demanding to know the location of the villagers. A flashback shows Nina Eve escaping, outsmarting and killing the Trolloc that captured her. Egwen and Perrin are followed by wolves, and Perrin has a nightmare about the wolves and a mysterious fiery-eyed figure. They find safety and rest with the Tuthan, <laughs> or the Tinkers, as I like to call them, a peaceful nomadic group. <laughs> I'm available for uh, voiceover work if you're if you're listening, Jeff. Matt and Rand argue about whether to go home or to the White Tower, with Matt showing darker tendencies that Rand dislikes. Ooh. They encounter a gleeman, Tom Merlin, or Thom if you prefer, in a village where he steals their gold. They are attacked by a dark friend whom Tom kills. Nina Eve and Lan argue about the villagers whether Nina Eve should heal Moraine. Eventually, Nina Eve concedes, using herbs to help the Aes Sedai while Lan scouts. Moraine recovers enough strength to travel and they encounter Red Sisters on the road, including Leandrin, who have captured the self-proclaimed Dragon Reborn Loghain Ablar, a man who can channel the One Power. Nine Eve. Nine Eve. Nine Eve. Nine Eve. Nine Eve is a good book. <laughs> Not to be confused with Seven Eves, the book by Neil Stephenson. Seven Eves. Who yeah, I would totally recommend. If it was if it was Nine Eve, then it's spelt wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> fantasy fantasy <laughs> you gotta put you gotta put a few backwards letters in there you know no, naive, yeah. this is where i admit that when i read harry potter i called hermione hermione for the whole time until i saw the films <laughs> that's a real name well, What's your matthew, excuse? matthew would understand this is um yosemite uh, Yosemite National Park. In my brain, it's Yosemite. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my boyfriend is Jewish, so I got him a, a shirt that said Yosemite on it um, hey. after our last president mispronounced the name of that park. <laughs> I love pronunciations, though, because unfortunately we don't have Robert Jordan here anymore. So unless he, unless there's a secret book out there somewhere, like you know to the level of Tolkien that has all of the phonetics in it. Um, we, we do what we have to do with what we've got. There is there is video of it out there because he did make a lot of trips to Atlanta for for JordanCon and 
a dragon uh, con, and I've been in panels of his where he sat there pronouncing names for people for five minutes. Brilliant. Brilliant. So we have the source material then. Inside knowledge. I like that a lot. Okay, well, so where are we going to start with episode three? They're on the run. Mm. Um, they've escaped from the evil city, and they've gone. They've kind of gone their separate ways, right? Let's let's start with the village that Matt and Rand visit. First thoughts about the village, Matthew. You go. Oh, okay. yeah. I actually, on a lot of levels, I feel like the village was one of. They finally took some time to breathe with a scene. It also was one of the more frustrating things from one perspective of. I I love that they've made such a commitment to diversity and that they have the different cat and they've, they've definitely decided to make that a priority. But at the same time, it's that sort of, hey, we're diverse in every way that doesn't have gay characters. And then when you have Rand, who is played by a Dutch dude who has already played a gay character in a movie before, say that, oh, yeah, if I, I'm not gay. Nothing's wrong with that. But I could do better than Matt. And you're like, oh, so gay people could technically exist in this movie, in this series. They just don't at this point. It's kind of, I mean, kind of a nitpick on my part, but also kind of a middle finger to my community. I don't, I, I don't know if it's a middle finger. I mean, again, I don't know what the source material is like. Or are they just going to add things in for the sake of diversity? I, I get it. And then on the other hand, I'm more interested in watching this for a piece of, of, of fantasy work on telly. And I really liked the, this town and this bit. I thought Tom was an interesting character. I'm going to call him Tom. But I thought he added a, 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 another level. Because I think when you've got these younger characters running around doing stuff, you need these older, more experienced people to, to put them on the path that the story's taking but actually on their life path. And they hinted at that with what he said to him about life lessons when he picked their pocket or something. Again, the, the, the barmaid suddenly turning out to be bad. Yeah, okay. But also in this scene, we got the first hint of these four people, one of them, another one of them, not because obviously we know um, a Gwen has got an inkling of power. And we also saw now that Rand there's something about him because he knocked down a door that she previously said it would take three men twice your size to do it or, or something. And, and he did it with a few few shoulder barges after spending all afternoon chopping uh, a mountain of wood. It was very on the nose, though, wasn't it? Like, oh, yeah, this guy's got, got Hulk powers. We're going to just show it in this scene now. Here we go. The, the guy in the um, cage, there was a comment about his hair colour. Yeah, so we're introduced to a race in this episode called the Aiel, and we're told that the redness of their hair is something unique to their race. Okay, cool. And it's it's meant to make the audience go ooh <laughs> when they say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to rewatch it and put my ooh in at the right place. <laughs> yeah, it's but... an, it's another on the nose moment. You're meant to kind of go. Oh, Rand has red hair. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what you're meant to actually do. that scene with the taking down of the body and Matt. You know, his obvious need to get hold of money, uh, but actually the way that was done was quite nice. I, I really liked that too. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorite things. Yeah, um, yeah that whole, that whole that interplay between those two. Okay, bit quick, the gro suddenly growing to be friendly, but yeah, a lot of source material, our shows, we get it. 
We've very much in this episode um, gone away from the source material at this stage. Uh, and when I say that, I, no, when I say that, I mean that we're not hitting plot for plot. So it was it was great because I was then suddenly in the position of my husband. I was watching something I'd not seen before. Definitely got a yeah, lot of character yeah. development for Rand and Matt. Yeah, and that, that was really interesting. And the other two with the wolves and the wolves leading them to a path. And that trailer thing where they end up with a caravan of people. It's another thing. I, I feel like they, they, again, they're counting on you knowing the source material because they're like, you know who we are. Our reputation precedes ourselves. We're a whole group of people who have never been mentioned anywhere else in the series before. And if they would have bothered to set that up a little bit, it would have been more impactful. Well, the Tinker's going to be a, a big part of, of things, Ray. Well, first of all, I, when they came up and your man there opened his mouth and started talking, uh, we both went, are you kidding me? They made them Irish. Um, <laughs> now, it did, look, yeah, it did cross my mind, that one. <laughs> there was a bit of stereotyping the end, there. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, that's probably actually what Robert Jordan wanted because they're called the Tuatha An, and that's oh. a, sort of a, a bastardization of of the name of the original Irish tribe, one of the greatest Irish tribes. I'm going to absolutely massacre this pronunciation. It's Tuatha Dí Danann, or somebody's screaming at me. It's got accents. It's got fadas in it I'm and not stuff. <laughs> I'm only a beginner learning Irish, so it's uh, difficult. But basically, obviously, they were Irish because you don't you don't have an ancient Irish tribe called one thing and then you create a group of people called the Tuatha An who are also called Tinkers uh, by the characters within the books and not make them Irish in a TV show so but we were very much you know it's it's a stereotype but it can also be quite a we were quite shocked to see that they went that way especially because the characters that we are seeing so far are very their their accents are not tied to them we're, we're seeing characters with um, non-specific accents. We know people in the Two Rivers don't have a regional accent. You don't see, you know, you, you know the Dark Friend had a, a somewhat Scottish accent. We're, we're, we're not seeing that good old-fashioned sort of stereotype of all dwarves are Scottish and all humans speak with the British English, uh, you know, BBC English. You know, we're not seeing that. So when they bring in a race of people who 100% all have this accent, it was very jarring. Can I, I, I want to piggyback on that too, because you, you've hit on something that has got on my nerves since the first, see, uh, first episode is that none of these characters from Two Rivers where they've, They've very much implied that they've all grown up and they all know each other. None of them sound like they're from the same part of the country. <laughs> and this mm. is something that's referenced in the first or the second episode when Nynaeve tells Moraine that my teacher was rejected because of her peasant accent. I'm like, I don't know what a peasant accent sounds like, but you don't have one. And I, yeah, and, yeah. And then in this episode, Tom says, you're two rivers from your clothes to your to your voice. And I'm like, he doesn't sound like the other guy who's with him even a little bit. The only person is Tam. Tam is um, Yorkshire. He's Yorkshire, Lancashire. He's somewhere up there. He's really the only one who would have, short of a West cu Country's U.R. accent, he's like, yes, I am country. Here is my accent. <laughs> who is Tam? Yeah, yeah which one's Tam? <laughs> Rand's father. 
the guy that got the sword. But survived. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, yeah, it's the survived. only one who knew how to use a sword in the entire village. And what's the story there? Well, I think they, they, they've, as short of the whole sort of on the nose, here's the Heronmark blade, I think they've actually introduced Tam's character in a way appropriate to the style that they're trying to bring forward because it is 100% important. So we'll see Tam again, you think? Oh, I, I mean, I, if, if we come to the end of this season and we haven't seen him again, then there will be thoughts. <laughs> Do we know how many books they plan to get through in this season? Is it just a... F- because you've already said the prologue's a whole separate book anyway, so... I think the thing is, is they're kind of working on the Eye of the World and the second book. So the Eye of the World is the first one. I think they're tra- they're kind of merging in the two. But so far, we're very firmly in the first book. Okay. So I think season one is meant to kind of merge the first two. But I think they've pretty much um, confirmed for about seven or eight seasons. I think Rafe wants us to do the whole 14 books. Well, okay. I'm sure there'll be someone left to watch it at the end. A small group <laughs> of dedicated survivors in the bunker somewhere. <laughs> uh, bit, I think that might be a bit harsh. I mean, if you think back to Game of Thrones, when did that come out originally? 2010? This is what I tell people about Game of Thrones. I don't like giving away my age, but Game of Thrones started when I was 13, and I'm now well-established into adulthood and heading in towards middle age, and we still don't have a series, a date to end the series, and there's at least two books. I don't know how time works to that extent, but I think the author's plans on outliving me, and I don't know how that's possible. Can we talk wolves? Yes, the wolves, wolves, yeah. Obviously, we have the wolf coming up and, and licking um, Perrin's leg, and then when Perrin and Agrin are on their own, um, with a little bit of hint of magic, again, when they're trying to light the fire, uh, more wolves. So mm-hmm. there is obviously a connection. Wolves and um, nearly called them Murlocs, which is a real world of Warcraft. <laughs> I, mean, um... I was going to say, you're showing yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> Trollocs. Oh, Trollocs. Um, yeah. Um, you know, is there a connection there? And also, we've got Perrin wandering around with a, with a wound on his leg, which we assume was given to him by a Trolloc. And he's okay, but one of the most powerful magic users we've seen so far, nearly dead. What's going on? So I, I'm glad to see it. And I'm, I'm actually glad, actually, that we've seen these wolves appear frequently. You know, it's alluded in the first episode that they're saying there's something driving the wolves from the mountains. Oh, yeah. And you're thinking, oh, it's the Trollocs. But then now we're seeing Perrin with the wolves. You're kind of going, was it Perrin drawing them from the mountains to them rather than them running from something in the mountains? So... I think Egwene hints that the wolves are maybe not after them, but were guiding them to the Tuatha An. Um, I like that because I hope that people see that as the wolves not being weird, but the wolves being friendly. The licking of the wound, I thought that was weird. <laughs> I, that was a very strange way to try and get people to understand that there's a relationship between the two. I, I mean, they would, though, I guess. I mean, if, if I've got dogs and if they have a, a wound, they will lick at it and they will look at each other's wounds. So it's a kind of natural thing. But, it, yeah, it is weird. You know, if you had, I mean, equally, if, it, if an animal sensed blood of, an, of a, a prey or something weak, it will also kill it. So, yeah, it was a weird one. Can I quickly, what's the mm-hmm. song? Do you know the song? 
So this again, I I is another curse of the fantasy genre. Is this poems and songs and and things popped into books? Like uh, Tolkien has a lot to answer for. Are you a so fan? I love Tolkien. You know, that's, I know. As in, when when like, you're reading a reading away a fantasy book, and next thing you know, you've got three pages in italics <laughs> of a poem or a song. <laughs> I'm really sorry, and I'm sorry, Sean. If it's something that you do, I skip it. I really do. <laughs> do I? I do not. I skip it too. Uh, uh it's it's mainly um it was great actually tom's song first of all he's if it's his voice fabulous if it's the actor's voice that's fantastic um i like the song because in this particular case it seemed what does tom know because he's singing i mean he's probably singing an ancient song something that's part of their culture but He's very obviously aware of Rand and Matt. Is that dramatic license or is that something that they're trying to communicate? Just crosses my mind that you're, we've, we've already visited a load of places and heard about cultures and, and also places we've not visited yet, but we've seen people from like the guy in the cage. And it made me appreciate when I was watching it, the intro to Game of Thrones with the map mm. and actually getting a, a, yeah. a, an idea because in a book, especially fantasy you'll often have a, a map at the front and uh, <laughs> yes. you know sean will labor over his his, his map for, for days on end for his book but actually and you've actually just browse past it but i think it kind of sticks in your head and and you you know and you do when you open a book mind you i use a kindle now mm -hmm. so i don't get that chance but you know it's useful especially when they're building this massive world in your head and you've got no idea of where things slot in, uh, maybe that's you know, just me. Say what you want about David Eddings, but I think he introduces a new map at the beginning of every sort of section within his book. So uh, you, you don't have one huge map. You're kind of uh, right with <laughs> World of Warcraft. <laughs> moved on to the next zone. This is the zone map. <laughs> and, you, and you kind of move on that way. Um, but yeah, I'm, actually, I should grab the book and see see what the the uh, the maps are in there. But yeah, no, you're you, right because having that at the beginning of Game of Thrones, you it really does kind of it's almost like previously, yeah, kind <laughs> on of Wheel of Time. <laughs> and and then of course, then of course you've got the music, and I think Game of Thrones, we could all hum the theme tune right now if we were asked to, not going to, mm -hmm. but we could. What's what's is it, I can't what is the intro music? Is it just some kind of vaguely Celtic? What do we think about the soundtrack then, so far? What we've been introduced to? What do we think of it? I, I've just had like a similar discussion with my 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 nerd friends who play board games with me, and we are we are all in love with the Dune soundtrack. And I don't know if it's a fair comparison to make or not because it's a book versus a movie, mm. but the budgets are similar. But the soundtrack to me is forgettable. I do like that there there's some rock notes in there from time to time. Like there's, there's mm. definitely, you can feel some guitar and it's like in a modern electric guitar and it, and it's definitely part of the hinting that this is from a world in the future where there was a technological society that broke down and then has built up and broke down and built up and broke up. And, and I like that, but I can't remember a single piece of music or like, nor would I just look, and I have done this, just look up the game of Th the uh, Dune soundtrack and listen to it. You're right. I can't hum 
any theme from it you know normally never mind the theme tune normally you there's a thread that follows through a, a tv show that you can kind of latch onto and it's important because it yeah. it, it gets you on all, all your senses um you know we need when you're what you want to be immersed don't you visually yeah with the audio with everything and so just you know big big dramatic fantasy soundtrack needed mm. surely we're asking a lot of them because i was expecting a soundtrack to absolutely knock my head off for this tv show because you know you can't go wrong with a fantasy soundtrack there's mm. there's always going to be something in there that's going to rise the goosebumps so once i hope their pacing slows and we know we sort of a you know it stretches out a little bit longer and we don't have this flip flap flip flap that we start seeing that sort of more immersive music. One last thing that I think we should talk about today, Leandrin and the Red Sisters and the guy in the cage, the Dragon Reborn. What did you think of Logan Ablar, Matthew? Oh my God, this is every objection I have to this series in a nutshell. I, it, it, it's, it's people written for the book. So I remember her from the first episode and they set her up and Le Leandra or whatever her name is. And they set her up as a villain and she's wearing red. And I know those thing, two things about her. She kills that guy. And that's all I know about her. They set her up as a villain. And then they come in with this guy in a cage. And it's, I mean, it means nothing to me. I don't know who he is. I don't know the implications of her having him. I don't really understand what the dragon is supposed to do other than maybe have the power to reshape time. And so there's no, there's no jeopardy to it. There's no understanding of the stakes. I don't No, We're told that he can channel the power, but we don't really see any power. And, and I'm unclear as to what his power is, to what that power he can channel even is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so again, this is where we're sorely missing that prologue. We really are missing it. But again, it's one of those things that how do you approach something that is and of itself a book anyway? It's a chunk at the beginning of the book. I, if it is who I think it should be, I like how she's being introduced to us. Are you she talking has about a man Le in a cage. Leandrin here. Yeah, Leandrin. So okay. we're seeing her in. We're seeing her as a, as a leader. She's red. She's aggressive. I mean, even the actress that we have for her, you know, the the, the she has a very very distinctive face, strong jawline, cheekbones for days. So we're getting just from an appearance a, a very sort of clear understanding of who this woman is. When Moraine meets her. Even though it's a polite, you know, Leandrin Sedai, Moraine Sedai, the, the tension between the two of them. Has it tempted you to read the book? Not, not at all. It's one of those things that I, I, was, I was sitting there and I was watching it and, and I'm like, I, it feels like one of those things where I need footnotes to watch a TV series. Yeah, and I I like when there's that level of underpinning that we don't get answers to. And there's been some, some shows and some books that have really done that. And what I've really liked about this world is the answers we don't get that they show hints to like th those, those, that rock formation in the first scene that we all think are just rocks turned out to be skyscrapers that are covered in moss. And I think that was smart. And I really like that, but they tell us a lot of history and it's like, clearly this means something. And 
other things happen and I just kind of feel like I need to have a compendium with me so that I can read and understand. I, and I am not the fastest reader in the world. I will grant to you, but I try to read it. Things that come at the fantasy at the, at different, different ways. Like um, I'll tell you, um, Mark to your, your comment about fantasy tropes and getting the band back, you know, the kid, the, the kid who, uh, the orphan thing, the, the, the opposite of that is this book I read by uh, Nicholas Eames called uh, Kings of the Wild. It's a great book. Brilliant book and does things differently. So I, I have so many of those kind of, I have a bookshelf with like Nottingham and City of Brass and a whole bunch of other books I need to sit down and read first that um, I don't really think I would start a 14 book series. I, I just don't. I don't think I'd live long enough to finish reading it. <laughs> I will have to say that the audiobook um, is on point. The The narrators are a couple called Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, and they actually do a lot of Brendan Sanderson's books as well. Uh, stunning, absolutely fantastic um, to read. It's uh, a Mike, uh, Michael Kramer does all the parts of the book that are from a male perspective. So Rand uh, would be the key one. And then uh, Kate Redding does it from the female perspective. So when we switch within the book to uh, Egwene or Nynaeve. For anybody who wants to try and attack the books and is daunted when they walk into Waterstones and see them all there on the bookcase, that go for that audiobook. Rosamund Pike has also narrated the first book as well. So, you know, definitely have a, a listen to that. I haven't because I am hardcore Kate Redding, Michael Kramer <laughs> fans here. Rosamund Pike would obviously do a good job of her own lines, I'm assuming. Oh, brilliantly. And that's the thing I've noticed. They actually have pulled bits from the books, like the dialogues. I just a quick question since we are talking about the books. If you were going to start the series, do you, I know there's a prequel. Do you want to start at the first book or do you want to start with the prequel? I haven't read the prequels, but it's, it's again, I've got to get the wiki up for this. I've got to work out when your man wrote them. Because then that will probably be, give you an idea about what information is being provided within the prequels. G Gemmel's a classic for that as well, isn't he? With, yeah. um, oh, Gemmel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to um, say, first first fantasy book I read, Legend. Oh, isn't that brilliant? Yes. Wouldn't it make I a great Legends. film? Wouldn't it be a good film? I do. Yes, it could. Yeah. Oh. It would be a brilliant film. It'd be entertaining. Don't yeah. try and make it grimdark. Don't try and make it Lord of the Rings. Just give me the Marvel universe in the medieval period. That's what I want. Oh, yeah. I want this yeah. big but character. Who would, you, who would yeah. you cast? Who would you cast as Dras? Russell Crowe. No. Do you think? <laughs> no. Well, you you no. want you Arnie. want you want that, that crossed my mind. Too oh. big. Too tall, maybe. Well, I was voice. thinking mm. you'd want Brian Blessed, but oh, rougher. Because yeah. you need that big personality, but at the same time, you want somebody who was that big personality. And that's a wrap for this time. We'll see you next time for more After Time. <laughs>